Freedom Hut. Confirmed, Jacob Blake did have a knife during the time of his arrest. The Kenosha shooter has been charged with first-degree murder, Minneapolis riots and loots over fake news, and the NBA changes its mind. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you very much for joining. Just a, a, a quick note to anybody who's in the path of this uh, really serious hurricane. Please do heed all warnings. Take care of yourselves. You're in our thoughts and prayers on Louisiana, Texas, Gulf Coast getting hit by this pretty badly. And there's some real, real uh, expectations of, of heavy, heavy flooding Please, please take all necessary precautions for yourself and know that we're thinking about you to uh, everybody and uh, and certainly all of our Team Buck brothers and sisters down in Texas, uh, Louisiana, and the rest of the Gulf Coast area. So I had figured that there was something up with the case of Jacob Blake. Remember, this is now the, the latest uh, version of the BLM narrative of cops shooting a man who is black and unarmed for no reason other than either an overt or perhaps a subconscious racism. But it has to be one or the other. That's what we're led to believe, right? That there's nothing else going on. There's nothing else that we have to see with all of this. Uh, We already know everything that uh, we already know that everything that we, we have to in order to come to a conclusion that the cop involved should lose his job, probably lose his freedom, really effectively lose his life. That's what the narrative is. That's that's what the expectation of the libs, the Democrat Party, has become. You're not allowed to wait for additional facts. You're not allowed to see if there's anything else that changes the narrative. George Floyd, enormous changes in that narrative since we first saw that video. And why is it that we only see, the public only gets to see a very shortened version of these arrests. It's absolutely necessary to see the entire exchange, right? Just think about this in day-to-day life. If you saw a video of a a friend of yours punching a stranger in the face at a bar, and that's all you saw, you'd say, wow, he, he committed assault. That's a crime. He can't do that. If you saw a video of a friend of yours punching a stranger in the face at a bar, after that stranger had grabbed your friend's wife's behind and tried to, you know, pull her toward him, you'd say, guy had it coming. All that the difference is there that you need to know is the information around the incident, right? That that makes all the difference in the world. And yet we have this repetition of the same thing. We see one video clip, you better, you better say the cops are racist and this was a murder or this was an attempted murder in the case of Jacob Blake or else. They'll ruin you. Corporations will fire you. You'll lose your job. You'll be your reputation in tatters. That's the game that's been forced on all of us now. Bend the knee or else. This is how much power this movement, BLM, has, has been able to gather 
And it's all built on lies. Built on lies, the whole thing. That's why it always ends up collapsing into disarray, anarchy, violence, misery. This movement is not making anyone's lives better. This movement is not improving anything in this country. And it's not the first time the movement has existed. Think back. When did the BLM start? Started in 2013 online with a hashtag. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Why didn't that just continue in a straight line to today? Certainly Black Lives Matter as much in 2016 as they did in 2013 as they do in 2020. So why did the movement disappear? Oh, because there were assassinations of police officers that occurred as a direct result of the rhetoric of the movement that had followers that just believed what BLM was saying. The assassination of officers Ramos in lieu of the NYPD right here in New York. And then five Dallas police officers murdered by a madman who, yes, was also a devotee of Black Lives Matter rhetoric. And as I've said before, if what the movement claims is true, if law enforcement was really systemically racist and hunting young black men as some kind of racist sport, it would be a moral obligation to take up arms against law enforcement. Of course, that's all a lie, right? The same way that I could tell you it would be a moral obligation if a presidential administration was stealing people from their homes in the night, you know, sending in the equivalent of the Gestapo or the Stasi to steal people from their homes. Yeah, you take up arms against your own government, right? But that's not happening. And to say that's happening, even though some libs do claim that stuff is going on right now, is completely insane. It's a lie. The problem, the fundamental problem with the BLM movement is that it is built upon lies and therefore it needs lies further lies to perpetuate itself. Now, what do I mean by Jake, uh, to bring up the Jacob Blake case? We saw that initial video, and I thought, look, we, we can't really tell if this is a good shoot. That's the police terminology. They'll say a good shoot, meaning a legal, legally justified shooting, uh, or not. We can't tell. It seemed to me from the beginning, and you can go back. You don't ever have to take my word for it when I say, oh, I said this, right? You can just go on Spotify, the iHeart app, listen to the podcast of the show, and just check my work. And I, and I invite you to do that anytime. But if you go back, you'll hear that I thought this seemed like a likely a justified shooting because he did not comply. Blake did not comply with clear commands. Law enforcement had their weapons drawn. And he was reaching in the passenger area of his vehicle, which is a very well-known place to all law enforcement officers for keeping a gun, a knife, whatever, any kind of weapon, a taser, brass knuckles, who knows? This is where people tend to keep those things, because when they're in their car, they want easy access to it if they're going to try to use it. So uh, that, and so that was with the information we had then. And we were being told, oh, you know, he's just a uh, just a dad who was trying to break up a fight between two women. And this is so awful. And it's this terrible murder. And all the Democrats, you know, oh, my gosh. It turns out the guys wanted on a variety of crimes, including sexual assault, which I thought Democrats were always telling us how serious that is as a crime. 
it is a very serious crime. So isn't that noteworthy here? He was wanted on a felony arrest warrant. The police were called. This is what we found out since that initial day. That, remember, led to riots, led to destruction and looting. We find out that the police were called because of Blake. That he was the reason. This is based on the radio transmissions from the officer's patrol car. Right? They have recordings of this. The police were told, yeah, it's because of this guy. And there's a warrant for him. So they show up to a domestic disturbance with a guy with a felony sexual assault warrant against him. They try to take him to the ground. They use a taser on him. He manages to, because remember, you can't use chokeholds. You can't use these submission holds anymore. Can't do any of that. He manages to get away from the two officers, which if you've ever tried to hold somebody who really is you know, desperate to get away from you, if you're of even roughly equivalent strength, very difficult to do. Very hard to hold somebody down when you're not also allowed to strike them, put them in submission holds. If you're just going to try to hold them, bear hug them. So he gets away from the two officers, goes around to his car. The officers know that now this is a high threat situation. Why isn't he complying? He's already fought them. He's a wanted felon. Alleged felon. Why is none of that registering with him? What could he possibly be thinking? There are multiple officers with guns drawn on him. If he won't listen to that, what does he have in mind? These are the thought processes of the officers on the scene. You can just think through it yourself. Put yourself in their shoes. And then he is clearly trying to get into his car and is reaching for something. He has an officer with his uh, holding his T-shirt from behind, trying to pull him out of the vehicle. What does this guy think he's accomplishing at this point? Some of us, like me, were saying, how is it that we did not know right away? Day one. Why did we not know that there was in, in uh, this Kenosha? Remember, Kenosha, is, this has led to the whole conflagration this week. Was this one arrest and shooting? Did Blake have a gun or a weapon in the car? Go back yesterday's show, the day before that, I kept asking, why do we not know this? Why do we not know if there was a weapon in the car? Now remember, the standard for law enforcement isn't that they need to be able to guess whether you have a weapon accurately. It's if they have a credible reason to believe that a person is going to imminently use a weapon on them, they can use lethal force. If someone wants to commit uh, suicide by cop, which does happen, and they have their hand at their waistband and they say, I've got a gun. And the officer says, show me your hands. And the suspect says, I've got a gun. And the officer says, I'm going to shoot unless you show me your hands. And the person pulls their hand out from behind them and is and they get shot in that process. This this actually happens. The same event plays out tragically. Uh, across the country many, many times over. If that person has a Snickers bar in his hand, if that person has a, uh, you know, a, a, a rusty spoon, it doesn't matter. If the cop shoots that person, they're going to be cleared for that because they don't have to wait 
when someone has already presented themselves as being armed and a threat. They don't have to wait to make out the serial number on the heckler and coke that is being pointed at them. They just get to defend themselves. But that's not even what happened here. Took a few days, millions of dollars of damage, people killed in the street, cops assaulted, the country torn apart again over issues of of race. Took a few days. But we find out that, yes, in fact, Jacob Blake did have a knife in the car under under the driver's seat that he was reaching for. Confirmed. Oh, Is that why did it take a few days for that information to get out there? Why weren't the police allowed right away to tell us this? Oh, well, a lot of politics involved. You know, don't want to look look like they're blaming the victim, right? People get very scared about that. Oh, we don't want to blame the victim, but he's not the victim. Didn't comply, resisted arrest, reached for a weapon. This is this is a very straightforward situation. If cops can't react to that with force up to and including lethal force, then we're not going to have a police force anymore. So now we find out that this wasn't what we were told. We suspected that was the case. Why didn't we get the information sooner? And even more troubling, the libs, the Democrats, Biden, all of them, they just don't care. It simply doesn't matter that we already now have additional facts to show that this was not some evil racist murder, that this was almost certainly not yet uh, not yet adjudicated by internal affairs or whoever does those kinds of investigations for the Kenosha PD, but almost certainly a justifiable use of force. So we've gone through now. Days of rioting, looting, mayhem, arson, killing. People died. And we'll talk about the shootings and updates on that as well. In this little city of 100,000 people in Wisconsin, we've gone through all of this. There are parts of the city that look like a war zone, that look like they've been bombed from the sky because people got upset because they saw a cell phone video of a cop doing what cops are unfortunately often in a position to have to do, which is to use force against a non-compliant subject who is resisting arrest. You'll notice it's, it, you, you don't see in these, uh, in these cases that keep getting brought up by BLM, there are cases where law enforcement is far too aggressive. Their, their police brutality is real. What's fascinating is that it's not about police brutality. When it comes to the BLM narrative, it's about white cops killing unarmed black men. And so that's what they have to look for. You're not hearing about this if it happens to a white person, a Hispanic person. It doesn't matter. Unarmed black white cop. That's the formula for the rage. That's the formula for the rioting. And so when those pieces are in place, that's all that matters. Look at Michael Brown. Michael Brown was legally and justifiably shot. The cop, based on Eric Holder's DOJ investigation and multiple African-American eyewitnesses to what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, the cop did nothing wrong. In fact, he should be commended for bravery in the line of duty. That's the truth. And yet 
Hands up, don't shoot. They still lie about it. They still make this claim that he's a martyr. The facts don't matter. The facts also aren't going to matter with Jacob Blake, my friends. They've already decided he's a martyr. I'm sure there already are murals being painted. And that's it. The left, the Democrats, they don't care what the truth is. They never did. And then you have to wonder, you have to ask, so did they just want the rioting and the looting to happen? Is that not a secondary effect, but actually the desired result? I'll leave that to you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The problem with dunking on CNN is that it's not possible to dunk harder on CNN than they dunk on themselves. It's not possible. They are beyond parody. You can't find a way to mock and ridicule their work, their unethical, disgusting narrative. More than they do if you just pay attention to what they're up to. Here is a CNN reporter. He is standing in front of a massive conflagration in Kenosha, one of these riots. But he wants you to know that, oh, guess what? Mostly peaceful. Play one. What you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin, over the course of the night. A second night since Jacob Blake was seen shot in the back seven times by a police officer. And what you are seeing now, these images came and come in stark contrast to what we saw over the course of the daytime hours in Kenosha and into the early evening, which were largely peaceful demonstrations in the face of law enforcement. It wasn't until night fell that things began to get a little bit more contentious. Things were thrown back and forth. Police started using some of those crowd dispersal tactics like tear gas, even playing uh, very loud sounds to push them out and then what you are seeing the common theme that ties all of this together is an expression of anger and frustration over what people feel like has become an all too familiar story playing out in places from across the country not just here in kenosha wisconsin that's a perfect example of you got to remember he's standing in front of burned out buildings that are on fire i mean flames all over the place mostly peaceful protest You know how they started to describe in the media Jacob Blake last night? Quote, otherwise unarmed after the knife information came to light. These people are frauds, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Always remember, my friends, that it was not the looting, the rioting, the arson, the assaults, the menacing, the destruction of our civil society that started to get the Democrats to just pump the brakes on this BLM insanity. Not stop it. Just just maybe maybe just tone it down a little bit. BLM and Antifa lunatics. It, It wasn't all the all the terrible things that have come as a result of this. It was that all of a sudden Democrats realized that there was the possibility that this was negatively affecting their chances of getting power. That's all they care about. That's all that really matters to them. That's the only thing in this that really matters. And there's a Marquette University poll that is very telling. Why all of a sudden are you seeing Mayor Muriel Bowser in D.C., Democrat Uh, come out and say 
that call you should call the cops if people mob you like this and that this is unacceptable. Why is even Kate Brown, that idiot commie in Oregon, the governor, why is she saying, all right, we're going to hold you accountable, guys. Stop at the criminal stuff. Well, what has changed? It's not that they feel badly for the small business owners whose lives have been ruined by this. It's not that they care in the least about what's actually uh, what's actually going on to people day to day in this country. The suffering, the destruction, the misery. No, no, none of that really matters. What they care about, the reason that you're seeing a little bit of a shift away from this right now among Democrats is that they are seeing a change in the polls. This Marquette Law School poll tells you the following. As of the middle of June, and they break it down here by race, this poll breaks it down by race. As of the middle of June, the uh, white respondents to this poll 59% approve of BLM and 38% disapproved, okay? As of now, and this comes, this poll comes before Kenosha. This was from um, the 4th of August, but now this is making the rounds. People are saying the 4th of August, and I think they did some follow-up polling in the week or two after that, but this is not even taking into account Kenosha. And what we've seen this week during the RNC, white respondents to this poll, 45% approve, 51% disapprove. Now, you'd say that's that's a pretty dramatic shift. Now, I know it's only white respondents. It is notable that black or Hispanic respondents, that's how they categorize it, black or Hispanic. So they lump lump those two categories together have had no change. Really, like one percent. I mean, statistically insignificant. No change at all. People that that liked it then like it now. It doesn't matter. They burn down the whole country, and there are some people, white, black, Hispanic, libs. There are some people who will support Black Lives Matter no matter what it does. I mean, if Black Lives Matter was able to get control of nuclear silos out in the Midwest and decided they were going to hold cities hostage, they'd say, "Hey." You know, we we really do need to tackle systemic racism. I mean, you know, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, you know. They don't care. Nothing will change their minds. Doesn't matter. So this is why all of a sudden Joe Biden is out there giving speeches. This is why there's been a shift. When I say out there in the basement. But I mean, this is why he's stepping forward online to talk about this. Uh, And here is some of what he said yesterday here's biden remember this is i just told you about the jacob blake shooting what really happened listen to how joe biden talks about this issue play two what i saw in that video makes me sick once again a black man jacob blake has been shot by the police in broad daylight with the whole world watching you know i spoke to jacob's mom and dad sister and other members of the family just a little bit earlier and i told them justice must and will be done You know, our hearts are with his family, especially his children. It's horrible what they saw. Watching their father get shot. Like Gianna Floyd, they're asking why. Why daddy? Put yourself in the shoes of every black father and black mother in this country and ask, is this what we want America to be? Is this the country we should be? 
A lot of things he says in here that I take issue with. For one, broad daylight. He's just emotionalizing the issue here, but what is that? Who cares that it's broad daylight? That that has nothing to do, whether it's daytime, nighttime, 6 a.m., 10 p.m., who cares? But, you know, he's trying to really, really get the theatricality of this going, oh, it was the most appalling thing I've ever seen. Look, watching any human being get shot, and there's other video of people getting shot because politicians would not actually shut down the mobs that were responding to the false narrative about the Jacob Blake shooting. So because people like Biden lie about this stuff, decisions are made that lead to other people dying. That's, that's what's actually happening. They don't want to put it in that context. They don't want you to be clear on that because then maybe you, you being the American people will vote them out of power realizing that they're reckless frauds and morons. That's what the Democrats have become. Uh, but here's another part of this. He, he brings up the family and how horrible it is. And yes, any, any mother or father loses a son under any circumstances is going to think that it's horrible. Does anybody remember the last time Joe Biden gave a speech like this about a uh, police officer being killed in line of duty? Does, why, why is he singling out this case right now? Because of the narrative, the Democrat narrative around this. Right? Much less interested in talking about the perils that face law enforcement every day. Much less interested in presenting the facts about what really happened here. And he says, is this, is this what we want America to be? Let's just go to the narrative, the way that CNN frames this, all these other news outlets. Black man shot in the back seven times. That's, the, that's what you're supposed to take from this. Black man shot in the back seven times. Shot a lot of times. It's in the back. It must be, it must be wrong. It must be illegal. And because the man shot is black and the man who shot him is white, it must be racist. Even though, as we know, a white person, a white person gets shot by a cop, a black cop. No one ever thinks that's racist, right? That's not that. The assumption is that there's no racism there. The assumption when a five-year-old boy was executed in his front yard in North Carolina a few weeks ago by a black man was that there was no racial animus there. Now, I don't think we should make assumptions based uh, assumptions without evidence. But notice that there, the assumption always lines up with what the Democrats wanted to be, which is, oh, see, this is racism. And it never goes the other way. And if you assume it the other, in the other direction, that there could be some anti-white animosity involved in a crime, you're the bad guy. Autom- automatically. You're a bad person for thinking that. Oh, okay. Did you hear Joe Biden mention anything about Jacob Blake going for a knife. Here's a here's a different headline. Right. This is this is really getting into the gears of the propaganda machinery of the left. Here's another headline that would also be completely true, but you will not hear from mainstream media outlets. Man shot resisting arrest while reaching for knife. Fact. That's what happened. Those are all true things. Shouldn't that matter? Shouldn't that be something that is at least taken into account here before people burn down neighborhoods, before they attack strangers in the street? No. No. See, a movement based in a lie can only pile more lies atop itself. There is no fundamental honesty. There's no fundamental honor at the heart of the BLM movement. It is a Marxist propaganda power grab. That's what it is. 
Now we all can, now we all see it. In the beginning, you know, oh, everyone had to run for cover. And at that point, I'll even tell you, some conservatives that I know, we were all saying, look, you know, we, we got to wait for this thing to play out for a couple of weeks before you, because you're, you're just risking, oh, you're risking the boycotts and you're, you're charging the machine gun nest without a plan to take it. You're just going to get mowed down. For a few weeks, it was the Dave, it was like the David Hogg situation all over again, where he, for a period of time, because he was elevated as this anti-gun hero of the left, could say whatever he wanted about somebody, and if you fought back, you could get, he could just wave his hand, and the corporate media would all go, oh my gosh, destroy that person. BLM was that times 100. BLM was a movement for a few weeks that if you uh, did not bend the knee right away and say, oh my gosh, this is so horrible, what happened? And look, I did think it was horrible because the video we saw looked really, it looked awful. And you're not allowed to wait and say, hold on, is there more? Is there more? Is it possible that George Floyd overdosed from fentanyl and that he did not die of asphyxiation from excessive force from a police officer? If you had said that in you know, early June, late May, you could probably get pulled, pulled off TV, pulled off the radio. People would have just now all of a sudden you're at least able and people will fight against that narrative and there'll be riots because of it. But you can bring it up. I hope I think I have. So we'll see. Just point to the point to the coroner's office report and say, um, that's what the people that are experts, that this is all they do, are telling you is the truth. But the truth doesn't matter to the libs and to the left right now. It doesn't matter. In fact, it just angers them. When the truth contradicts the narrative, we all know what the choice is that the left will make. Truth doesn't matter. Then that brings me back to Joe Biden, who in in an effort here to try to staunch the bleeding a little bit in the polls is coming out and saying yes it's all so awful what happened to blake but maybe guys let's not completely destroy american cities in an election cycle where the democrats are no matter what they say tied to the rioters and the looters play clip three you know as i said after george floyd's murder protesting brutality is a right and absolutely necessary But burning down communities is not protest. It's needless violence. Violence that endangers lives. Violence that guts businesses and shutters businesses and serves the community. That's wrong. In the midst of this pain, the wisest words that I've heard spoken so far have come from Julia Jackson, Jacob's mother. She looked at the damage done in her community and she said this, quote, This doesn't reflect my son or my family. So let's unite and heal, do justice, end the violence, and end systemic racism in this country now. How do we end systemic racism, Joe Biden? What does that mean? You know, ask libs this, and they get very indignant. Okay, how do do we do that? Oh, isn't the justice system is racist? Okay, how? How do we fix it? What do you want? I don't know. They want the moral high ground so they can make demands for power that cannot be met with counterargument. That's what they want. That's what Biden wants. That's what Kamala wants. That's what the Democrat Party demands. We're to think that he just figured out now that violence and looting and arson and rioting aren't helpful in the cause of justice. This has been going on for months, months. One after another. National Guard sent in, National Guard deployed, federal law enforcement officers surging, 
cops being attacked, buildings being burned. This has been the biggest news story in the country for weeks. And in some in some weeks, it has overshadowed the pandemic that has basically changed our way of life for the last seven months. And Joe Biden's just figuring it, just having a, a moment now where he wants for people to know the violence is bad. It's almost like they're so cynical. It's almost like the Democrats and the media, the disgraceful, just just putrid, vile mainstream media, CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times, the Washington Post, and then all the little sort of you know, bottom feeder lib media organizations, you know, HuffPo and Salon.com and all these terrible places full of morons who just don't know anything and hurt the country constantly. Can't even make worthwhile arguments for their side. Just smears. Everything is racist. Everything is sexist. It's crap. They've all they've all just started to see now. All of a sudden. That this is a bad idea for the country. No. No, no, no. But they're going to do what I told you yesterday. It's now there'll be a series of news stories, not opinion pieces, news stories on how it's really hurting Trump that he can't get control of the situation. They create the fires literally. And then complain when we don't put them out fast enough. That is the Democrat Party in 2020. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let's not let the Democrats do what we all know they're going to try to do. Separate themselves from the mob, the looting, the rioting going on, at least for a time being. Let this blow over a little bit. The optics, constant obsession of all politicos, the optics are very bad when in this week you have Incredibly well-produced, compelling, memorable RNC speeches, montages. We need a montage. Uh, all these things together on the one side. And then on the other, you have people who hate Trump, who want to vote for Biden, destroying everything in sight. In Kenosha, in Minneapolis, in Portland, you know, n- numerous American cities under siege by these lib lunatics. The formidable Kaylee McEnany points out that the media, the Democrats, they're all over this. They can try to hide, but they can't. Five. Well, first, we talk about COVID and the economy pretty much every day here at the White House with the president's briefings. But it's a real travesty uh, that it took the Democrats this long to mention the violence in our streets, that it was ignored when they had the biggest platform. It was entirely ignored. There are little babies like Legend Talaferro that have died in their beds because of gun violence. And the Democrats have been deafeningly silent while we've taken action. And when you have the media aiding and abetting Democrats, CNN, for example, putting up a Chiron about violent protests and quickly removing the Chiron and changing it to just protests. When you have CNN last night saying fiery but not violent protests as there are literally fires and violence raging behind them, the media, the Democrats are aiding and abetting the violence in the streets. And this president has stood strong in saying we will not let it spill into our neighborhoods like what we saw in Portland. One side, the Republicans, President Trump leading them, say this is unacceptable. That not just the actual criminal activities of the looting, the arson, but the intimidation, 
the mob threats on the streets to people who are passers-by, who just are trying to go about their lives. One side says, enough, we will stop this. The other side says, it's not that bad. And America is starting to see who's who. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, it wasn't just Kenosha, Wisconsin that saw more looting and rioting and craziness last night. It wasn't just Wisconsin. Also spread to Minneapolis, which was, as we know, the city where the BLM movement had its rebirth as a result of the George Floyd arrest incident. But uh, last night it got pretty ugly on the streets of Minneapolis, looting, lots of arrests. What happened there? We have somebody who not only was there covering it, but also got a taste firsthand of what it's like when some elements of the BLM mob turn on you. Kyle Hooten is with us now. He is a reporter at The Daily Caller. He also contributes to Alpha News. Kyle, glad you're safe, man. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so tell me what happened uh, first that led up to all these incidents in people weren't even thinking about Minneapolis. It was all eyes focused on Kenosha, but Minneapolis got out of control, too. What led to this? What was the incident? Well, I was sitting at home following Kenosha and was very surprised to see that uh, civil unrest and riotous behavior had begun in Minneapolis after a man who was being pursued by police committed suicide at the Nicolette Mall. Uh, looting and rioting quickly broke out at that mall, which is in the heart of downtown Minneapolis, within visual range of the new Viking Stadium. I made my way over there to the Nicolette Mall area to cover the activity, uh, where I found that police had largely secured the mall, but that rioting continued in other areas. As I was walking down a street about three blocks to the east of Nicolette Mall, a very upscale area, I was accosted by two individuals who took issue with the fact that I was wearing a bulletproof vest and carrying a backpack. Uh, one of the guys laid hands on me, grabbed me by my backpack strap and my vest, while the other guy grabbed my backpack from behind. In a tussle over my backpack, uh, the individual said, hey man, hand me that gun. And the first guy lifted his shirt, revealing that he had a firearm tucked into his waistband. It was at that moment that I decided that uh, staying alive to keep reporting the news is probably more important than retaining my backpack. And I lost my pack, all my gear, and uh, my bulletproof vest. So you're there covering... The, the looting that breaks out now, it's looting in response to an Internet rumor of the police murder of another unarmed black man. Turns out the guy. Well, not even the police. Oh, to, to, not, to, not, to explain. Not police murder. Well, the guy killed himself. Oh, no, he I know. But I'm saying the, the initial yeah, the yeah. initial storyline on the initial story that was circling the fake news here was that police killed him, that he did not kill himself. So the, the looting starts right. in response to a fake story or rather a fake version of a story. And then you find yourself covering that looting. And how these two individuals did they uh, did they approach you at first to speak, uh, you know, to just sort of have a conversation with you? I mean, how did they accost you to engage in this armed robbery? Well, it was very interesting. I was walking down the street, and uh, I was the only guy who was there on sort of official business. Everybody else seemed to be engaging in crime. And they took issue with the fact that I was a white man wearing a bulletproof vest. They said that white people had no business wearing bulletproof vests because, quote, you're not the ones getting shot. So that was sort of the initial uh, inciting incident. Wow. 
And I'm assuming you spoke to police about this. And also, I would guess you've been talking to police sources about what happened last night. Uh, is, Is there any do you have any sense from the Minneapolis PD that they even begin to have the resources to pay attention to an, an armed robbery of a reporter? Well, uh, you know, I sent them a message asking if I could give a statement, but a colleague of mine, Rebecca Brandon with Elsa News, was recently robbed, lost her phone, and had a good deal of trouble getting in contact with law enforcement because they're so overburdened dealing with these other issues. So I'm going to continue pushing that rock, trying to get a, get a statement uh, into the police. And I'm also going to be contacting the police regarding the uh, wave of death threats I've received following this incident. After I was robbed, I tweeted about it on Twitter.com. And uh, that tweet got some traction, which led to literally hundreds of messages in my inbox uh, saying that people want to kill me, saying that people uh, are trying to find my address. Many individuals also sent me pictures of themselves with guns, saying that they're going to kill me and my family. I'm very concerned about that as well. Kyle Hooten of The Daily Caller joining us now. He was at the Minneapolis, covering the Minneapolis looting last night. I saw video of a Saks Fifth Avenue uh, as it was broken into, and people were just very calmly and methodically working their way through what handbags and luggage pieces and designer belts and other things that they wanted. Kyle was robbed at gunpoint, and now he's just told us, I mean, Kyle, this is, this is really pretty mind-blowing. You are robbed. You say that you were robbed at gunpoint, and there are strangers who respond to this by threatening to kill you what do you how, try to explain to us what what the thinking is here? I mean, it, it doesn't even I think anyone hearing this would say that's just beyond insane. But what what's the what's the thinking behind it? It seems to me that the criminal elements in Minneapolis don't really like reporters shining a light on their activities. You know, we've seen over the last couple of weeks uh, continued violence and aggression towards reporters who are trying to cover what's happening on the ground. And uh you know, they, they, they take our things, they rob us. I had a colleague who had her phone stolen. I had my gear stolen. And then they try to intimidate us over social media into, you know, stopping what we're doing. But we won't stop. We'll keep covering this and we'll keep exposing the violence and rampant crime in Minneapolis. Robbery is up 112%. Uh, auto theft is up 69%. The city is, is falling apart. Did you get a chance to speak to just residents who obviously weren't involved in the looting and the rioting about what they think is going on in their city. People don't think of Minneapolis. I mean, as, as a New York City resident, you think of Minneapolis as one of these safe Midwestern cities where everyone's really nice and maybe even too polite to each other. What are the folks there that are living there right now feel like? Well, there's a lot of confusion. I know that some individuals have taken a hardline stance and have said that they will absolutely not let their homes get broken into. But there's also a lot of people that seem confused. Uh, you might have seen the report a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times where a neighborhood vowed not to call the police on criminals. There's been lots of statements given to various media outlets about people feeling guilty when they call the police to report a crime because Minneapolis is a very liberal city. So it seems like the population of Minneapolis is torn between their left-wing ideology that dictates that they don't call the police and their personal interest in not getting robbed and having their houses broken into. And the some of the video that was shown on social media last night, we're speaking to Kyle Hooten of The Daily Caller. He was covering the looting as it was happening in in Minneapolis last night in response to a a rumor, a fake story of police shooting an individual when the individual actually shot himself. Um, Kyle, uh, in the video, one thing I thought was really notable was that there are all these people 
who are breaking into this is the Saks Fifth Avenue in, in downtown Minneapolis. So it's a very, yeah, very high end. They're going after a very high end department store. They actually want the goods inside. Right. This isn't a this is a a directed planned looting spree. This is not just, oh, there's a gas station. Let's go grab a bunch of, you know, soda and and, and Krispy Kremes or something. This is going after a very high end store. And what's what's notable and, and, and you were there. So I wanted to get a sense as to how much of this would would be true or how much of this was happening. You have people who are videotaping in real time. I mean, the looters are videotaping Mm -hmm. their looting spree, which is, I think, so remarkable, folks, because you'd think we're, we're supposed to believe this looting is happening because people are so afraid of police and afraid of dealing with law enforcement, and particularly the African American community thinks they're being hunted by racist cops. Meanwhile, people are breaking into a store here with their cameras out like this is something they want to brag about on Instagram. Hey, look at me. I'm breaking into a store and stealing, you know, a pair of shoes. Yeah, not only are they doing that, but there is actually a parking problem down at the Nicolette Mall. This is not a residential area. This is an upscale retail area with banks, businesses, and stores. And these individuals who were coming in to loot it while they were filming themselves doing it couldn't even find anywhere to park. The city was so overrun with individuals coming from surrounding neighborhoods moving into uh, downtown Minneapolis, eager to steal things, that uh, there was traffic jams all around the riding. And yes, police were on site, and they did secure a small area directly around Nicolette Mall, near where that man killed himself, allegedly. But uh, they were not able to extend their influence beyond that, and they were not able to prevent mobs of individuals from kicking in windows and loading their cars up with goods, as they bragged about it and posted on social media, just like you identified. Kyle, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, earlier this month said that what was going on in her city, where there was some looting that sounds very similar to this, where people actually coordinated the usage of vehicles as battering rams against storefronts in downtown Chicago to you know shatter the glass storefronts and then everyone could just run in and steal whatever they want. Lori Lightfoot referred to this as as organized criminal activity. I know, almost reminiscent of of a of a mafia case or something where people are are coordinating beforehand. Have you heard anything from the Minneapolis police or any of your sources there about how this? I mean, you said there are so many cars at the looting that the cars of the looters couldn't find. They, they couldn't find places to park them. Uh, did, did they see? Was there yeah. just like a Facebook post of, hey, everybody show up to this place and let's steal all the stuff we want? Well, it's unclear exactly how this stuff is organized, but I've seen screenshots from various Facebook group chats. I've seen screenshots from different group media group chats and Twitter group chats of individuals coordinating in the fashion that you alluded to. But again, it's very difficult to pin down exactly how these people operate because while they're organized, they're not always public about how they're organizing. One time I went undercover at a BLM march here in Minneapolis, and when I was doing that, I, I saw a little bit more of how the organizational structure works. They had individuals who were sort of commanders, and then those individuals had people underneath them that were giving directions to the crowd. And then they had a group of individuals on motorcycles that were pulling security, and the BLM protesters were told to refer to those individuals if they have some sort of problem or an altercation with the conservative or the police. So it's very clear that there's an organized structure here, and it's very clear that they're communicating. I saw it firsthand. Exactly how that communication occurs is a little bit more difficult to identify. Kyle Hooten of The Daily Caller. Kyle. Please keep in touch with us. Let us know as you continue to show us what's going on. Minneapolis is not going to calm down anytime soon. You stay safe.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. A fatal shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We had our fourth night of riots there, all based on the incomplete at best story of the the uh, killing of I'm sorry, the shooting, not killing the shooting of Jacob Blake. And now we have a situation that did end in loss of life. And we have Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17 year old Illinois resident who is now all all over the Internet. Everyone's weighing in on who he is, what he did, what he He has been charged with first degree intentional homicide in connection with shootings that left two people dead on Tuesday night. Uh, Rittenhouse, this guy's just 17 years old. There's there are images of him cleaning up graffiti before this happened. These are things that the mainstream media, if they report on, will always be in like, you know, the very small subtext somewhere deep in an article. They're not going to raise this so people really take this into account because The difference between self-defense, and this is very important, the difference between self-defense and murder in situations like this is all really a question of narrative. It's a question of what are the what is the totality of the facts? No one's disagreeing that he discharged a rifle that killed two people. There's no disagreement about that. So it's all what led up to that. Why did he do that? Was he in fear? Was he justified in taking those actions as part of uh, self-defense. Well, he had posted on social media accounts support for Blue Lives Matter and Humanize the Badge, which is a non-profit that he ran, uh, a non-profit, rather, he ran a Facebook fundraiser for on his 16th birthday, according to the New York Times. He liked to pose with guns, and he liked guns, but that's, for the tens of millions of people in America who are, lo- who are lawful gun owners, it's it's a cultural thing. It's a Second Amendment thing. When there's a lot posing with guns, I, mean, I have plenty of photos of me with guns all over the place. Not not in New York, because I can't have them here, but certainly in my earlier life. Um, yeah, one day I'll just for fun I'll post. You know, I got all all kinds of stuff from back in the day, back in the agency days with with weapons. But that's not in any way indicative of anything, right? But these are just this is some of the backstory. He was cleaning up graffiti before the shootings took place. So he's one of these people that believes in, in trying to counteract the destruction of the neighborhoods. That's also on the record. There's photo of him doing that. So there's evidence that he's done that he was doing that. It is believed that he said he was supportive of the right to protest and that he was actually, he told people there that he was on the side of protesters, but he would not allow looting. Now he's 17 years old. You're going to have a lot of discussion about that too. You know, yes, 17 is very young, but 17 is also the age that people, uh, some people who join the Marine Corps are 17. Some people who see combat are or sign up to go into combat are, are 17. So, you know, that's he's going to be treated as an adult here. And there are circumstances legally and otherwise where a 17 year old would be treated as an adult. And uh, about two hours before the first shooting, Rittenhouse is at a Kenosha vehicle dealership, and he talks, he identifies himself as Kyle, and he's talking to them. So, so he's discussing why he's there 
there's a, a lot of you know, back and forth over what his real motivations were. What you're going to hear from the lib media about this is that this young white man with a rifle, um, and he, did, he, cro- he crossed from Illinois into Wisconsin with the rifle. I, I don't know, you know if, if, he broke, if he broke any statutes with the firearm. I don't know. Um, I'd have to dig into uh, Illinois and Wisconsin law on this one. But I, I do know, you know, usually, unless there's a reciprocity agreement or something, usually you can't cross state lines with a, with a firearm. So, but again, that would be something that he's, he's charged with first degree murder. OK, that's the issue. Let's 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 drill down on onto that for right now. Uh, there are there's two shootings that he's he's involved in. And there are other people, other rioters who had weapons. That's clear as well. In one instance, here's the first shooting is written about the, the TikTok of the New York Times. While written, Rittenhouse is being pursued by a group, an unknown gunman fires into the air. Unclear why. The weapon's muzzle flash appears in footage filmed at the scene. Mr. Rittenhouse turned towards the sound of gunfire as another pursuer lunges toward him from the same direction. Mr. Rittenhouse then fires four times and, a shoot, and, and appears to shoot the man in the head. If you assault somebody who has a gun in their hands, if you try to use force against somebody who has a gun in their hands, it is generally speaking, unless they are committing a crime against you, meaning, you know, if someone's robbing you and you use force to try to get the gun out of their hands, then you have a justification for it. But if you just don't like someone and you try to wrestle them and they have a gun and you get shot, that's a very unwise decision to make to try to wrestle the person with the gun or attack them or shoot them, which may have also been the case based on the handgun muzzle flash that we see in the footage. The way this is being reported, though, is that, and and even Democrat politicians have weighed in, they are claiming that a 17-year-old white guy who shot two white rioters, one of whom was armed at the time and attacking him, that this is evidence of white supremacy and systemic racism, and that this guy is a white nationalist, based on no evidence whatsoever. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing you keep seeing when these incidents happen that get all this attention, when these incidents happen that BLM riots over, is people coming forward to explain the legalities of this or the criminality of it. And to talk about self-defense, to talk about who don't know anything, who have no idea what the heck they are talking about and who will ask really stupid questions, ask them rhetorically as though they're making a really profound point. And here's a perfect example. There's now an effort to compare Jacob Blake and the way he was treated by police with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Right there, there's this effort to say, well, why, why did Kyle Rittenhouse shoot two people, three people, kill two of them, but was not killed by was not shot by police. And Jacob Blake was as if this is a, an intelligent comparison without understanding a whole lot of other things that were going on here. Here is Trevor Noah, who doesn't even really try to be funny anymore. First of all, he was never funny. 
This was just, oh, the, the libs were like, oh, we're going to make this guy into a comedy star. He's not funny. He's never been funny. His show sucks. And I mean, he's paid a ton of money to, you know, just to sort of be there. You know, he's paid a ton of money to be the guy that took over John Stewart. Look, John Stewart was a dishonest, smug propagandist, but he was clever. He was pretty funny sometimes. And Trevor Noah is out there saying uh, things like this. Play clip nine. That's right. Last night, some guy decided to drive to Kenosha with his militia buddies to protect a business and apparently ended up shooting three people and killing two. But don't worry, the business is okay. And let me tell you something. No one drives into a city with guns because they love someone else's business that much. That's some bull****. No one has ever thought, oh, it's my solemn duty to pick up a rifle and protect that TJ Maxx. They do it because they're hoping to shoot someone. That's the only reason people like him join these gangs in the first place. And yes, I said it, a gang. Enough with this militia bull****. This isn't the Battle of Yorktown. It's a bunch of dudes threatening people with guns. And while what happened with those shootings last night is tragic, what happened afterwards is illuminating. Because it made me wonder. It really made me wonder why some people get shot seven times in the back, while other people are treated like human beings and reasoned with and taken into custody with no bullets in their bodies. That's really easy, Trevor Noah. Rittenhouse threw up his arms and surrendered to police. It's on video. And whether you're dealing with a, a mass shooter somewhere or you're dealing with, you know, gang violence or whatever it is, when a person no longer poses a threat to law enforcement, they will not shoot that person. Right? You, you, could, you could be the mastermind of 9-11 if you are, well, not a good example because that was overseas and the military was involved, but you could be the mastermind of a terrorist operation on U.S. soil and if you throw down, you know, you throw down your AK-47 or whatever and you throw your hands up and say, okay, I give in, they're going to take you into custody. You could be a guy who's wanted for, you know, writing illegal checks, but if you wrestle the cops and then they draw their weapons on you and you say, I've got a gun or I've got a knife. I'm going to go for it. And you go for it. They're going to shoot. That's the difference. Doesn't matter who you are, what your skin color is, what you look like. That is the difference. It's about imminent threat. This is how police are trained. And when you think through these issues, it makes sense. A person who is no longer a threat should not be met with lethal force by police person who is a threat is going to be met with lethal force by police. That's the way that they're trained. That's the way that what's the alternative? It's amazing to me to see all these people are saying, why didn't they just grab? Uh, why didn't they just grab Jacob Blake and, and wrestle him to the ground? They already tried and he was going for a knife. So do the police have to wait to do the police have to wait till maybe one of them gets stabbed in the neck do they have to wait until they watch their partner get, you know, slashed across the throat and maybe bleed out there on the street before they can take action? The Democrats seem to think the answer is yes. That seems to be their point of view on this one. And as for the, the whole storyline here that why would you go and defend someone else's business? Now, I, I, I will say this. If if uh, Rittenhouse was a friend of mine, a member of my family, I would say don't do it. I would say don't do it. Because of exactly what happened here. Uh, you're going to put yourself in a situation where, you know, you, you 
you may have to make decisions that you're not trained for. That you're, it's one thing to defend your own home, your own business. And I'm not saying I can't appreciate the, the moral impulse to try to help those who are defenseless, don't have weapons. But I'm just saying I understand how the legal system works in this country. And I understand how public opinion works in this country. And showing up across state lines to defend someone else's business, you're going to put yourself in a much more challenging position if you have to use force. Look, there's a reason why people have concealed carry insurance. There's a reason why people take these uh, take these steps beforehand, because they know and everyone that I know who's a real gun guy or gal out there knows if you ever have to use your weapon, that's a choice that you're going to make that you better be damn sure and you better be prepared for negative consequences, even if you are 100 percent morally in the right. People are well, some of you are probably thinking around a buck. What are you talking about? Come on, that can't. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, you shoot you shoot somebody who is robbing you and then he sues you civilly and says, you didn't have to shoot me. All you have to do is convince convince a jury that the preponderance of the evidence is that he, you didn't have to shoot him, that you could have just drawn your weapon and he would have stopped. But no, you drew your, you drew your weapon during, let's say, an armed robbery and you shot somebody. And now the, the jury awards him five million dollars. Yeah, that's the. And now I know you're saying, well, that's not fair. Exactly. Got to be very careful with these circumstances. You have to really understand. Whether, or, you know, or if you're in a situation, you have to pull your weapon, defend yourself. You shoot somebody and, you know, the round either goes through them or maybe the round goes just a little up and, and it hits somebody a, a block away. You're totally liable for that. Right? So you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have to use your weapon. Anyone who really understands the law and understands firearms knows that. So while I can understand the impulse here, and I think it was a good impulse to try to protect those who are being attacked. You put yourself in a very precarious circumstance. Um, but now that's for the weapons charges and lesser things on the first degree murder charge. If you can't protect yourself, I don't I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, what what the circumstances of the individual's reasons for being in this state are or anything else. If someone's allowed to attack you and they can have a gun in their hands and you have a weapon and you're not allowed to shoot them, there's what is self-defense doctrine? Now, I'm not saying 100 percent Rittenhouse is going to get going to get off with self-defense, but to call it murder one, first of all, is, is complete. That's just overcharging for political reasons. And it's absurd. Manslaughter, maybe murder one is outrageous. But they do that on purpose to put Rittenhouse on defense right away and to send a signal to the mob. This is what will happen. This is what will happen to you. Um, if you stand up to the mob, that's what they want you to know. Uh, this young man, I think, would would probably, if he could, he would have a, a do over with all of this and, and not not show up because they're, they're going to attach the word vigilante to him. And, you know, it's again, defending your own home, castle doctrine, defending your own property, showing up to defend someone else's property. I, I a lot of you are not going to want to hear this, but I'm just telling you, it is it is a le- from a legal perspective. You're you're going to be in a riskier place because public opinion will push the law. And that's what we see happening here. Again, different thing. You're standing outside your own you know, the McCloskey's, even the, the DA there. No, of course, nobody was hurt. So it was a lot easier. But the DA there even had to back off. No, no you know, mob outside your home. If you can't stand outside your home and guard your home, then there's no such thing as 
the right to self-defense and the Second Amendment is effectively null and void. But I, I think you're going to ha- it's going to be a tougher situation here for Rittenhouse on at least some of the charges. They're going to try to put him in prison for as much as they can. I don't think they'll get him on murder one, but uh, depending depending on some of the weapons issues here, you know, that's going to get. And then the civil suits that he's going to face. This is why I, I wish this young I wish this young man. Had, look, and I know that not everything I say here in the show you'll agree with. I just wish this young man had stayed home. Because his life is um, in real in real jeopardy right now, and there are two people who died who we're starting to see from the video were themselves engaged in violence and criminal acts. That 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 much is clear. Um, but this was a tragedy that should have that should have been avoided. It should have been avoided by political leadership deploying the necessary law enforcement resources to stop the rioting and the looting. But they weren't willing to do that. Not until it was too late. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. How is it possible to call yourself a Republican and support this lunatic left wing Democrat ticket? I just want to know how anyone can really think with a straight face. How do you do that? Well, there have been plenty of them. I see now we have a hundred former McCain campaign alumni or something like that. I think it's McCain camp are all coming out saying they support Biden. Who gives a crap? McCain got crushed by Obama, crushed. And he was a guy that was representative of the old GOP way of just trying to go along to get along, lose gracefully and let the progressive libs just continue to steamroll people. And start a lot of wars and a lot of things you don't need to do overseas. Send young men to fight and die for wars. We're not even clear what the heck we're doing there. That was the old GOP. Then Trump came along. He's like, you know what? I got a different idea. I got a different approach. Oh, no, we have to hear from. And this one, I have to say, was moderately disappointing. I don't think anybody really cares. Carly Fiorina throwing her uh, her support behind Biden. Ooh, play 13. So look, let me be very clear. Uh, I voted for President Trump in 2016. He has lost my support because I think he has failed to lead when the country needed leadership. I am therefore voting for Joe Biden. It is a binary choice, our presidential elections, but I'm not a Democrat. And I think that one of the key reasons uh, that I'm voting for Joe Biden is because I think we need collaboration and problem solving. I think we need people from different political points of view. Kind of like these frauds at the Lincoln Project, <laughs> just raising all this money from libs to uh, make attack ads against Trump because they don't like him, but mostly to pay themselves a lot of money. Yeah, that's what they're that's what the real Republicans do. Help elect the radical Democrat Party that's trying to destroy what these whether it's the Lincoln Project, or these other Republicans, these former McCain staffers, or Steve Schmidt and these other morons out there uh, try to destroy what they claim to have been fighting their whole adult lives to support destroy that Republican Party. Sure, people, I I, I hope no one, no matter what happens this election, I hope that it is it remains um, never forgotten who turned their back, not just on Trump, on conservatism, on Republicanism at this time. You know, when it was just uh, either economically, financially useful to them 
or socially. You know, now, now's a time when you can switch sides and people they'll pat you on the head. Oh, you're a former Rep- or you're a Republican that's turning against Trump. Gee, and the media will give you you'll do a few interviews on Morning Joe and they'll say, oh, gosh, you know, your courage, everything else. And then the moment you walk out the door, they're spitting at you saying, what a clown, what a loser, what a jerk. What a turncoat. Never worth it. You know, your dignity, your honor, these are things that only you can give away. And people in the Lincoln Project and former Republican candidates for president, you know, John Kasich, and that guy's a, that guy's a loser times 10. So since I've been able to share my thoughts on that, now let's hear from somebody who's not a loser and hopefully going to win again at the national level. Vice President Pence, who pointed out uh, last night when he was accepting the nomination to run and serve as vice president of the United States. Here's what he said about where the Democrats are in all this. Play 16. But in the midst of this global pandemic, just as our nation had begun to recover, we've seen violence and chaos in the streets of our major cities. President Trump and I will always support the right of Americans to peaceful protest. But rioting and looting is not peaceful protest. Tearing down statues is not free speech. And those who do so will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Last week, Joe Biden didn't say one word about the violence and chaos engulfing cities across this country. So let me be clear. The violence must stop, whether in Minneapolis, Portland, or Kenosha. Too many heroes have died defending our freedom to see Americans strike each other down. We will have law and order on the streets of this country for every American of every race and creed and color. So that's one political party. That's one leader of a political party here who is letting everybody know where he stands, what the dividing line is here. How can anyone oppose that? Democrats do. They don't like to say it out loud very much. They don't like to admit it. But Democrats do oppose it. Why is that? What's going to happen if Joe Biden wins? Vice President Pence last night at the RNC told us what we should expect. Even if Biden, who now has said a kind of a tepid criticism of the riots and looting and arson and craziness, But that's not going to make anything better for anyone because, well, play 17. When you consider their agenda, it's clear Joe Biden would be nothing more than a Trojan horse for the radical left. The choice in this election has never been clearer and the stakes have never been higher. Last week, Joe Biden said democracy is on the ballot. And the truth is our economic recovery is on the ballot. Law and order are on the ballot. But so are things far more fundamental and foundational to our country. In this election, it's not so much whether America will be more conservative or more liberal, more Republican or more Democrat. The choice in this election is whether America remains America. It's whether we will leave to our children and our grandchildren a country grounded in our highest ideals of freedom, free markets, and the unalienable right to life and liberty, or whether we will leave them a country that's fundamentally transformed into something else. That's the choice that faces this country. And it's one that I'm feeling better about now in terms of what's going to end up happening every day. But who knows, friends? 
This is a fight to the finish, no matter what, Shields High. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Proud of the NBA players. Can't say enough. This is what it's all about. Sacrifice, because that's what they'll be doing. You know that the network's going to lose money, so as a result, the league is going to lose money. As a result, the owners are going to lose money. As a result, they're going to make sure the players lose money. It don't matter. That's what the players boycotting these games. That's what they're saying. It doesn't matter because there are things that are more important than money. Our people is more important than money. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. It's that kind of sacrifice that we're talking about. My man Joe Madison, the Black Eagle on Sirius XM Urban View Radio always says that it's about sacrifice. Anytime you protest and every time you take in a stance, it's about a sacrifice. And that's exactly what these players are doing. I didn't like it when I first heard the Milwaukee Bucks were doing it. I said, well, excuse me, where's the Orlando Magic? Where's all the other teams that's going to be playing today? Because I thought it would have been a mistake for any team to stand alone. But standing together, that is saying something. That is what this is about. It was about sacrifice, but it doesn't seem like it's about that anymore. We'll get into that. We've got our friend Jerry Callahan joining us now. He is a legend in sports talk radio up in the Boston area, and now he is the host of the Jerry Callahan podcast. He joins us. Jerry, great to have you on the show. Hey, Buck. Good to be here. All right. So just for everybody listening, because, you know, I, look, I'm, I'm not a sports guy. My radio producers make fun of me because I don't, don't know much about professional sports, but I'm a politics guy, and this is very political. What happened in the last couple of days with the NBA, and we'll get into some of the other leagues too. Bring us up to speed on what happened and where we are now. Well, we uh, th- there was a short, a brief boycott uh, led by led by the Milwaukee Bucks. They were up three to one in their series against Orlando, and they decided to uh, not show up for work. And then uh, the dominoes just fell from there. The Clippers and Lakers, led by I think LeBron James, voted to cancel the rest of the playoffs, just not play at all. But they, I think they were outvoted today, and there will be playoffs. And then it kind of put the pressure on the rest of sports. You know, the WNBA, I know I'm heartbroken. The Washington Mystics walked off the court. and I mean, there's a big void in my life. I don't know about you. And MLS, Major League Soccer, decided not to play. And then immediately the questions go to baseball, football. I mean, college football. Every uh, Most teams just stopped practicing for a day or two. Because no one wants to appear like, you know, they don't care that they're, that, that black lives don't matter. They all want to seem as woke as, as you know, LeBron. So they're all falling in, uh, you know, following along and, uh, and either just taking a day off or, or a week off or, or just saying, you know, it's, it's just too important. We can't be playing sports right now, even though it's their job. Um, and, and others like Kenny Smith, the TNT announcer, walked off the set in the middle of the show. His job is to analyze basketball, analyze the NBA, and that's what this called for. It called for him and Charles Barkley and Shaq and Ernie Johnson to do their jobs, but he said no in support of the players. I'm walking off, took off his mic, and walked off. It's pretty amazing how quickly this all turned around, though. You know, usually when you think about a, a situation of a boycott, it's people stop buying a product or stop paying for a certain service in response to something. And usually they want a change from that company. Right. They right. you know, exactly. you you do X and we'll start to buy 
your Goya beans again. Or or you said X, Goya, we're going to stop buying your beans. And then, of course, there was the counter the counter boycott that happened there with with that company. What is the I mean, I'm just wondering, what are the all these players? Is this just kind of like the equivalent of taking taking a knee? I mean, is this just for is this theatrics? Is it for show? Because they're not making any. It's not like they're demanding that the NBA do police reform. It's a great question. I say I, I asked the same question about Antifa for, for 90 days in Portland. I said, at some point, don't they have to make a demand. You, you have to do this or, or we will keep riding. The NBA and, and other sports leagues and teams are, are taking this dramatic action, this theatrical action. And they don't actually say they, I mean, uh, uh, the, there's a series of tweets that someone put together from all the players and it's just one guy after another saying, we want change. We're not going to stand for it. LeBron James, their leader, his tweet to kick this whole thing off says, F it. Uh, we're sick of it. We must change. And I'm thinking, first of all, the guys demanding change are going to, uh, they all want to register to vote and encourage everyone to vote. And they're going to vote for all the same incumbents, the mayors and the governors who are running these cities and these states where all the problems are occurring. So they don't really want change. I'm not sure. Do they want different? Or Doc Rivers, coach of the Clippers, in a very emotional press conference, talked about change, uh, getting rid of police unions and changing the way police are trained. Um, really kind of bizarre because it, I, I guess it's all about Jacob Blake, um, you know, a, a violent fugitive. Because who had a knife in the car, as we now know as well, the car that he was reaching into when cops were saying, stop, stop, stop. Go ahead. And, and, and to me, Doc Rivers is from Chicago, right? Chicago has had 2,500 shootings already this year. They had 64 last weekend. Uh, most of them, you know, black men and black, black kids. And you don't hear the NBA talk about walking off the job because of that violence. I mean, which is much, much more serious than, you know, police brutality in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And Doc Rivers got choked up and started crying at a press conference about what happened to Jacob Blake. It's it's really bizarre. And you, and you ask a great question, like, what is it you want exactly? Uh, they're, they're, this is pretty dramatic. I'm not sure whose mind it's changing, whose heart it's changing. More people are killed every year in the United States, or let's just say the last few years, because they're the ones that I checked. People die, on average, uh, more frequently from actual lightning strikes then unarmed black men are killed by police in the United States every year. It's about 40 to 50 die from lightning strikes. And this year so far, I believe it's nine unarmed black men have been killed by cops. Uh, we're speaking to Jerry Callahan, a uh, longtime sports radio host in the Boston area. He's the host of the Jerry Callahan show. I want to ask about the because uh, this is something you'll, you'll know a lot about. And, and I'm always curious because I'm, I'm not a, a big you know, professional sports guy. I watch some of the things. I watch a little bit of the NFL. Uh, I watch tennis, actually. Not that, I don't think anyone's walking off the tennis court for this stuff. But anyway, maybe. I, I mean, it could happen, right? I mean, the WNBA walked off. So even things that don't get quite the same viewership, uh, people want to want to get their part of this. But um, the business model component of this. Here's the New Orleans Saints, Malcolm Jenkins, speaking of demands and what's expected. Or here's what he says has to happen for him and I suppose other players upset like him, uh, upset as he is, to be happy. Play clip six. In this political landscape, I hope that that turns into um, some kind of political engagement by athletes and by everybody 
to say that, you know, if you want the black vote and whether you're a candidate who's looking to be elected or be reelected, if you want the black vote, these are the things that are at the top of the agenda for black people. Um, We haven't heard it yet. And I think until we continue to demand it, until Black Lives Matter goes from just an idea or goal that we're trying to attain as a society and then is actually realized in the streets, we won't see any peace. And I think we'll continue to see athletes, entertainers, as well as citizens disrupt the status quo until that's recognized. To say we won't see any peace for an NFL multimillionaire celebrity to say that at a time when there are multiple U.S. cities, and I don't mean in recent memory, I mean in the last 24 hours where there has been fatal violence, arson, destruction. Uh, I understand that within some constituencies and some communities, those comments will go over very well. But the NBA, the NFL, the uh, NHL, I don't know where they are on this, but, but some of these sports leagues... Is there a recognition, Jerry, that if they continue down this path of politicization, it may really cost them in in economic terms in a way that they'll really feel? Or is this a bit like, you know, Colin Kaepernick with Nike guys richer and more famous than he's ever been, even though half the country thinks the guy's a jerk? I I would say B. I'd say there is no uh, reflections. Uh, There's no awareness here that this could cost them in the long run. I mean, the NBA, the numbers were already pretty bad, the ratings, and they would attribute it to being, you know, the the, the pandemic and it's the summertime and it's kind of a strange schedule. But I think there's, I mean, I hear it all the time. People, uh, there is a backlash. There, there is a, there are people who have reached their breaking point. Say, I'm not watching. I'm done. Maybe they'll go back, you know, next season. But right now, they're just, it's just woke overload. And the NBA is the most obnoxious one. I mean, they painted the court. They got the messages on their uh, on their jerseys. They're, uh, you know, they're always talking. There's, there's a whole bunch of players who, who, who talk about Breonna Taylor you know, every at every press conference. And I think at some point, you know, not all the fans, but some of them, enough of them, are turned off by that. And we'll see what happens with football. Football's different. It's bigger. It's on schedule, on a normal schedule. But I, I hope they're not as obnoxious as uh, as LeBron in the NBA and, and Doc Rivers and, and the NBA. The thing with this right now, Buck, is it's a it's a monolith. There is no no dissent allowed. There is not a player in the NBA allowed to say, you know, you know maybe maybe Jacob Blake was partly to blame here. You, know, you can't do that. They won't do that. There'll be no one supporting Trump. I say this all the time. Trump has gained in many segments we know that with uh, with independence you know with with african americans i think one group that he is he's not doing as well now as he was four years ago is sports there's virtually nobody no athletes the coaches are, are so beholden to the athletes that they're that they they speak out against them you know steve kerr and popovich and these guys you know there's just no room in sports right now for for anybody who's not completely uh, anti-Trump and completely woke. It's just not allowed. Jerry Callahan, everybody. Listen to the Jerry Callahan podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and be sure to follow him on social media. Jerry, thanks for weighing in, man. You take care. Buck, good talking to you, my friend. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That is why voting in November is so important. Because Donald Trump does not care if you live or die of COVID or of racism as long as he wins. And until we, the people, change this administration, 
We will continue to get more leadership from the NBA than the RNC. Until the NBA wants to start making money again, and then they, uh, in about 24 hours, decide that, yeah, forget all that leadership stuff. We got cash to make, right? Oh, the NBA, that great moral force that bends the knee shamelessly to China and China's human rights abuses and will reach in. China will reach into U.S. discourse and influence our professional athletes, our, you know, enormously profitable association of the NBA. Uh, and and we're supposed to think that they're a, a moral force for good now. We're supposed to believe that the NBA is really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Real, real speaking truth to power stuff until it really affects their pocketbooks. And then then all of a sudden it changes. Also, you, you, you'll notice there are so many so uh, so-called comedians who just do really bad political commentary and have other people write jokes that they can slip into their political commentary sometimes. But that's Trevor Noah, Colbert, Kimmel. These are unfunny people who are really ignorant and don't know anything about politics worth hearing. And now they think that they should be weighing, you know, now they're in my world, right? I, I don't go up and do stand-up comedy terribly and expect people to pay attention to me. They do political commentary horribly. They don't know squat. But they will lecture you endlessly. Ne- never enough opportunities to lecture the American people on how they're, how they're disappointing multimillionaire comedians who have to show up and do an hour of work a day and get millions and millions of dollars. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it, oh, it's so difficult. Sure it is. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Oh, wait, I didn't get to this before. I wanted to just, uh, take this as a, as, a, as a mulligan. Sterling Brown and George Hill read a prepared statement. Play. Uh, this is about the Bucks when they initially said why they weren't going to play in the NBA. Play 19. The past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American community. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action So our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin state legislator to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote on November 3rd on behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, that lasted 24 hours. The whole, like, we're going to take action because they won't take action, and no, no, now they're going to play basketball again. I got to tell you... I also, I, I have to ask the question, what exactly is the reform that is expected three days after an incident involving cops? The legislature should come back in what? You know, there's actually a, a constitutional prohibition about something called a bill of attainder. Now, I, I, 
don't expect, I mean, journo libs, PhD blue checks probably don't even know what the heck a bill of attainder is, but it's a law passed with the purpose of going after one person. And if you know the history of our uh, legal forebears, so to speak, with English common law, uh, this was done under various English kings. They, uh, you know, they, they would have a, a law passed that would take all the property of one person, a law passed that would imprison or execute one person, a bill of attainder, a law that goes after one person. Is that what they want here? There's supposed to be some action taken to punish the police officer involved here when the police officer involved, if they if they want to know what justice is going to look like, they should be prepared right now for this cop to walk. Because the cop, based on the facts and circumstances we see, not only do I believe that a jury would find him not guilty of any criminal act whatsoever, I don't even think that an honest ethical district attorney would bring charges against him. I do not even believe that a district attorney here would see the need to put it to a grand jury. I, I'm, I don't, th- that's just where we are right now. But Democrat prosecutors regularly overcharge alleged crimes that upset the mob that involve police or anyone who stands up to the mob. And they bend over backwards to avoid punishing rioting lunatics at every opportunity. These corrupt cowards in the role of prosecutors are complicit in every burned building, looted store and bloodied bystander. Every single one of them. Can't even trust that you're allowed to defend yourself now against the mob. Can't even trust that you can stand up and count on having the law on your side, even though the law as written is on your side. But the law as applied by Democrat prosecutors who want to keep their jobs and stay woke. That's a very different thing, isn't it? Yes, we're turning now to our athletes for uh, moral clarity and complicated political wisdom. Uh, that is better than turning to Hollywood celebrities. Why exactly? Any, anyone want to try that one on? Just, just, just curious. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Roll call time. Let's get to it. TJ kicks us off. Buck, I think we're going to see a huge voter turnout for the election day itself in numbers that, dare I say, Trump 2016 numbers. Uh, I see what you did there, TJ. I think most Democrats value their votes too much to simply mail it in and will physically be at the booth on November 3rd despite their rhetoric. My point is that I don't think we're going to be waiting weeks or even days to know the outcome of the election, I think we'll know at the very latest early the next morning based solely on the number of votes that will be tabulated day of who wins the presidency. However, Hillary's recent projection of voter suppression and telling Biden that under no circumstances should he concede is a little disturbing, to say the least. P.S. Tell Trump that it'd be a good year to end daylight savings. Well, yeah, that Hillary Clinton comment about uh, the 
not conceding under any circumstances. I mean, that that's an outrageous comment. And can you imagine if Donald Trump said no? They claim without evidence, as they like to say, that he wouldn't concede. And they claimed in 2016 he wouldn't accept the results of the election. Meanwhile, they didn't accept the results of the election. And now they're saying they won't concede. There we go. As for daylight savings. Yeah, I agree. Producer Mark, where are you on daylight savings? Uh, I like it when we get an extra hour. I dislike it when we lose an hour. Yeah, I, I don't. I feel like why don't we just keep the clocks where they are and just live life? I don't understand why we have to do this thing. It doesn't make sense to me. I think it has to do with how much sunlight you get yeah, each no, day. Course. But is it really necessary? No, I don't think so. I agree Who with cares? that. Yeah. What are we afraid of the dark? By the way, where's Jerry Callahan's Boston accent? I mean, he's a broadcaster. Park. He probably lost it. Park, Doc, Ka, you know, Jerry doesn't have any of that. Stuff. He's not, doesn't have any of that. Well, that's like people say that I don't have a New York accent. They're like, you're not really from New York. And I'm like, well, I'm from Manhattan. Once you're in broadcasting, you, you lose your accents. A little bit. Because you tr- you, the whole, the old adage in uh, J school, journalism school, or when you're learning radio is to sound Midwest. Well, no, it, I think it's mid-Atlantic is what they teach you. Yeah. Not, you know, the, the, like they call it a... They refer to it in um, Anchorman. She says she has a a not like a nondescript mid Atlantic diction or something like that, which is kind of where I, I guess what it is. But it's you know, yeah, you're supposed to sound like nothing. Yeah, it's supposed to sound like nothing. Mid- Midwestern can be as we know. Oh gosh, yeah, it can be kind of like oh yeah. Don't is that really me. the Midwest? No, it's Minnesota, and exactly. all the Midwesterners throw stuff at me when I say this. I know, like our friends out in KFAB Omaha, they're like, "Buck, you, you do not." No one in Nebraska sounds like that. I'm like, that's fair point. Yeah, fair that's point. the Midwest I'm talking about, not Minnesota. Minnesota. That's practically oh, yeah. Canada. Wow. Our Minneapolis listeners are going to be what? like, producer Mark. Just in terms of geography, it is good practically news, in Canada. No, that's true. The good news for you is that they love hockey almost as much as you do, though. So Exactly. They'll, they'll be friends of yours forever. But I, I think that daylight savings could go. I, I don't like this at all. There are some things. If, if Buck were king for a day... Daylight savings would probably go. Um, backup noise on vehicles would definitely go. Sorry, you know, li- life's tough. You got to just, like, use your eyes. I don't know what else to say. Bill de Blasi would be put on a garbage barge and sent yes, out to sea. Perfect, exactly. Yeah, we wouldn't send him out with nothing. We'd put him on a garbage barge and just let him, you know, fend for himself. Kind of like Castaway, but surrounded with, you know, rat feces and uh, discarded uh, cardboard boxes. Perfect. That's I'm, I'm down with it. Yeah, I think that's fair for de Blasio. Um, yeah, man, I, 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 there's some other things that I have to think of. You know, we would uh, something really good for dogs. I don't know what it would be, but there'd be laws passed. There'd be edicts from on high that good things have to happen for all the doggies. And that's pretty much it. Think about the fun things. Zach, listening to Pelosi refer to the RNC as the enemies of the state makes perfect sense when you consider she probably sees herself and the DNC as the state itself. Yes, Chardonnay socialist Nancy Pelosi, when she uh, wakes up from a Zima-induced semi-coma, uh, she, she definitely thinks, l'état c'est Pelosi. The state is Pelosi. I think that's probably true, Zach. Well played, well done. Um, 
Buck, I'm not sure if you could say super douche on the radio, <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you did an order to properly describe Joe Scarborough. Uh, well, Kyle, I mean, yeah, I try to keep it all very, but you know, I'm just going to say this. People say, oh, you can't say that, but that word. Well, people say jerk, for example, and if you get into the origins of that word, a lot of this stuff is actually related, you know? You can call someone a jerk. Why can't you call him a douche? There are so, seven words we are not allowed to say, according right. to the FCC. Other right. than that, we're fine. Yeah, no, douche is not one of them. And if so, you'd like to hear them, Google George Carlin's seven dirty words. There you go. Um, just say, just saying, folks. Just saying. But uh, yeah, no, Joe Scarborough. He, he, that guy. It's just look. There, are, there are ideological opponents. People disagree. There are conservatives I disagree with on a lot of things. You know, personally, um, or I just don't like them. But I can at least respect what they do, or I respect. But with Scarborough, I mean, the guy's just grotesque. It's just grotesque. It doesn't add anything. The whole thing. It's all. It's all just such a fraud. What is he even doing over at MSNBC? How can you work in MSNBC and claim to be anything other than a lib? I just want to, I mean, given what they do over there, how can you do that? You know, it's like working for Pravda and saying, oh, I'm not a Communist Party prop. No, you are. You are. Um, all right. Kyle goes on. As for what white fathers tell their white sons about cops, here's what I learned from mine. If you get pulled over, put your keys in the dashboard and your hands on the wheel to show you aren't a threat. Have your license and registration ready before he gets to the car. Do not reach for anything unless you ask for permission. Because we're hunters, he told me to declare any weapons in the vehicle and tell him that they are legally owned, unloaded, and where the rifle and ammunition is. Say sir or ma'am when addressing them. And finally, if you feel that the issue is worth arguing over, save it for court and not for the encounter. It's amazing how easy it is to not get shot by cops when you do those things. This isn't rocket surgery. It's called not being a moron. Uh, Kyle, I, you know, I, I get, I get what you're saying, my man. And the same thing, look, I've rarely had to interact with cops. I've been pulled over a few times, um, but it's very, very rare. And I think everybody, when you get pulled over, you know, as a civilian, even you're kind of like, uh, you know, you know, it's not going to be a good day for you, but cops are people too. And they respond well to respect and politeness. That's always been my, uh, that's always been my sense with them i will say I've, I've i found if you're wondering who can be kind of the kind of jerks from law enforcement world secret service details can be jerks sometimes just gonna say it i i've had a few a few unpleasant interactions with them where it's like no i'm not doing i'm not not supposed to be here i'm not you're just being a jerk so you know look no one's perfect and uh it can happen but I also am friends with someone in Secret Service, great guy. So I'm not, I'm not impugning one entire uh, law enforcement arm. I'm just saying, you know, we, we've all had our unpleasant interactions with cops. The same way we've had unpleasant interactions with, you know, pizza delivery guys or, uh, you know, teachers or doctors or whatever, right? It doesn't matter. But, yeah, if you, if you show overwhelmingly, you know, 95 times out of 100, if you it, in my experience and everybody that I know, if you show respect to police, you are in a better situation and there will be a degree of professionalism and respect shown back to you. And I, I'm also a big believer in sir and ma'am in public interactions of all kinds. I say, you know, I say sir and ma'am to the person, you know, sweeping up the horse manure on the street 
after the parade. I say sir and ma'am to the secretary of defense or, you know, the head of the HHS or whatever. Right? I, I, I'm a believer in sir and ma'am. And I think it's funny because people I've actually been mocked for that before because I say sir and ma'am so much. So what were you in the military? No, I just like to be I like I like to be respectful. I don't know. I, I so think some it's people important. don't like that book. Don't like being respectful? No, don't like being called sir. My father-in-law, the first time I met him, I called him sir. He got pissed. He said, what do you think, I'm old? Like, jokingly pissed, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, he was. But that was like producer Mark pissed. He wasn't yeah. actually pissed. I'm just saying, you know, some mean, older gentlemen don't like being called sir because they don't want to be called old. See, I don't, I don't get, I don't think being called sir, I mean, I call 25-year-old sir. I agree with you, but I'm saying there's that perception. Yeah. It's also like a, a, a huge advantage you can give your kids, in my opinion, and without ever having actually raised kids myself, teaching them to say please and thank you so it's automatic. Any request is please. Anything given is thank you always, right? There are certain things, and, and it, it's trained. You know, there are certain brainwashing, I think, is good, and brainwashing your kids to just always say please and thank you is, you know, the same way you want to brainwash them to hold the door for a lady or whatever. I think those are... Those are good things. So I know that's maybe a little traditional, a little trad, old school kind of view, but I think it helps people out. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember, if you want to send us some thoughts for roll call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Direct message, Buck Sexton on Instagram. Or uh, you can also send us an email at teambuck at iheartmedia.com. So that's it. And please pass the buck. Tell somebody about this show. Available on the iHeartRadio app and Spotify. We want uh, growth in that podcast every month if we can get it. And the way that it happens is by people telling people about this show. Is there really a podcast out there that covers more ground, that has more variety, more in-depth analysis? I don't think so, folks. Not on politics. Not on the stuff we do. So please do uh, not to be immodest. I'm just saying I'm, I'm keeping it real because I'm keeping it real. Please do uh, pass the buck. Sam, dear Buck and oh, wait, no, we skipped Josh. Hey, Buck, crazy how fast they come up with the narrative on the Wisconsin shooting during the riots. Not protests. Don't be confused. They are calling the Antifa thugs heroes for trying to apprehend the shooter. You got to give it to the left. They are great salesmen. Keep it up, Buck. Shields high. Yeah, no, I mean, the people that if, if you if, I'm just going to say this, if someone ran at me with a skateboard and I had a rifle and they they saw my rifle slung over my shoulder and they come at me with a skateboard and try to hit me in the head, I'm probably going to shoot that person. And not feel bad about it, because what's the alternative to get slapped in the head with a skateboard, possibly knocked unconscious or even just you know, stunned enough that that person can then wrestle that rifle out of my hands and shoot me with it. Nope. Not on my watch. Right. Rather be judged by 12 than buried by six. Just saying. I think I got the numbers right on that. Uh, let's see here. Sam, dear Buck and Mark, after the left abolishes the police, who do they think will enforce all the rules they need in order to create their socialist utopia? Sam, it's a very good question. The left likes the use of state force when it likes it. Right? They, they don't want to get rid of the right the government has to send people with guns into your home, to take you out of your vehicle, take you out of your bed, 
and and lock you up and take away your freedom. They don't want to get rid of that. They just don't want it used against people that are hurting fellow civilians and, and citizens um, because the mob doesn't like that right now. The mob thinks there's something unfair about stopping looting, rioting, arson, violence, destruction, theft. The mob wants to do what the mob does. So, uh, yeah, they, they don't want to actually abolish the police. They want to continue to use the police for their own purposes. Dave writes, hey, Buck, you nailed it tonight. I grew up in an upper middle class suburb of Richmond, and my father made it very clear not to disobey the police if you get pulled over. Watching the entire videos of these confrontations is disturbing, to say the least. This is somewhat related, but remember A&E canceled one of the most popular shows, Live PD, which clearly demonstrated law enforcement is there to help. I can't believe we're even having this conversation. It's crazy, truly crazy. Yeah, Dave, I, I, I mean, I was taught the same thing. You know, listen to police. Do not fight police. That's a terrible idea. It's not going to go well for you. And I, and I was, I've been put up against the wall and patted down and searched by cops when I was a kid. Believe it or not, Buck used to uh, stay out pretty late and party pretty hard when he was a, a, a youth in his teens. Bit of drinking. Never, never was a guy using, uh, using drugs, uh, certainly none, none of the hard drugs, but I was around a lot of people who were, because in New York City that was very common. And we were always aware of the police and everything else. And yes, if any of you are wondering... When there were incidents of, I don't know, a house party that got too loud and there were, un there were there was underage drinking going on, let's say, was I the person who was always on the spot voted by my friends to discuss with the law enforcement officers how we would quiet down and not cause any more? Yes, that was my job. So I, I was the one who interacted with police in those uh, situations. I remember one time in particular in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, cops came to a rowdy house party. It wasn't even my, it wasn't my house. They're like, Buck, you go. Two cops outside banging on the door. You know, police. And I come out. I'm like, excuse me, officers. What seems to be the problem? It's like 18 years old at the time. Are there any, are there any kids in there drinking underage? Officer. No, of course not. We are all very responsible young men and women who are just enjoying a night of revelry with juice and non-alcoholic beer. The cops were very nice that night, I will say. They definitely could have taken some of us down for underage drinking, and they did not. Greg, hey, Buck, if you enjoy the mythical atmosphere and challenging melee combat of God of War, give Bloodborne a try. Many consider it one of the best games of this generation. You'll die a lot, but the challenge is part of the appeal, as well as the setting in a Lovecraftian dreamscape. Um, yeah, I did try God of War. It's pretty amazing. And um, I, I am now, you know, once the PS4 has been uh, opened up for me here, which is what's happened. My brother left it with me because he's going to be doing some traveling. And now it's at my house and I'm the keeper of the Sexton PS4. And I am trying out some of these games, although I'm also trying to get back out and do some working out and things like that, because, you know, it's either that or I'm going to have to get a whole new wardrobe and we, we can't have that going on. Plus, I have an announcement pending about uh, some things that you, you all can watch and see soon, but can't really tell you more than that other than, ooh, cliffhanger from the Buckster. All right, team, please do pass the buck. Tell somebody to download the Buck Sexton Show podcast, and we will be back with you tomorrow doing a fantastic Friday show. Shields high.